You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the gift to draw before you and to be with brothers and sisters, some we know, some we don't. Lord, right now we ask that you would help us to bow our hearts and our minds before you. That by your word and by your spirit, you would work in us and transform us. That we would leave this place to different people. We ask this in your son's holy name. Amen. Well, the new interns are here. Children and family ministry interns, youth mission and ministry interns. They're knocking themselves out already. And I am a very big fan of interns. I'm excited that they're here. They arrive not likely knowing many people, unsure of their ability for the work ahead, and yet they jump in getting to know the people that God puts in their life. And it's not always really easy. It's right now, the beginning point, there's this kind of checkout time from the students to figure out who they are. But then friendships begin to grow. And by the time the interns have moved on, they've seen God's spirit work in them and through them. Students have had these lifeless stereotypes of who God is shattered by seeing Jesus with new eyes. They've tasted Christian community in new ways. Others experience the new direction and the hope and the joy that comes from beginning to trust Jesus. And our college deputies who went out of here a few weeks ago to around the world are experiencing the same thing as we hear from their emails and their letters from around the globe. But God in his goodness does not limit the adventure of ministry to college students. Amen? It's early in the morning, I know. Amen? Amen to that. That's right. We all get to be a part of that. We all get to be a part of ministry. When we begin to follow Jesus... He imparts to us gifts and he equips us to be a part of his transformative work in the world. To follow Jesus is to follow him into loving others and communicating with our whole lives that God is not distant, God is not against us, but God is for everyone. And there is life in trusting Jesus. To follow Jesus is to have a ministry. And our ministries, as we know, take many forms. At Union UPC Satellite Community that I mentioned earlier, where I get to spend most of my time down now in South Lake Union area, there's a woman who makes these beautiful blankets for newborn babies. And that's her ministry, blessing new parents. And we're really putting her to the test right now, as we've had 18 babies in a six-month window right now, so she's sewing up a storm. But others are hosting, in fact, this day, today, we're hosting a barbecue for the whole neighborhood, something we do every month. And many of you, are gearing up to serve at day camp, at camp side by side. You pray for others. You do your work with excellence and compassion and integrity. You use your skills in car maintenance or computers to come alongside others and bless them. You lead a small group. You care for colleagues at work. There's all kinds of ways that you have a ministry. And in all those ways, people's willingness to hear and wrestle with who Jesus is increases. And they're able to take one more step closer to Jesus. You and I get to have a front row seat 
at the life-changing activity of God. I mean, isn't that, I just find that rather amazing, that the God of the universe takes the greatest truths there are, the greatest spiritual truth, and entrusts it, and entrusts its communication to fallible, ordinary human beings like you and me, people who make poor choices and dribble coffee down our fronts, you know. But the question is, what if you don't see any activity of God working in the lives around you? What if we feel we're not even in the restroom, let alone the front row seat when God jacks one out of the park? What if we've been working faithfully following Jesus, giving of ourselves, yet we have no sense that anything we do matters? No results. Over the last few weeks, we've looked with George at how St. Paul in 2 Corinthians deals with disappointment. Disappointment of unfulfilled dreams. Disappointment of things that we cause ourselves, that moral failure. And today we want to look at our text as it deals with the disappointment caused from outside of ourselves. Especially in the area of participating in God's work of reconciliation in the world. When we're disappointed with our ministry. Ministry that we may never labeled that way, but it's our living out our lives with Christ. Listen to God's word here. In 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, as Paul writes, Therefore, since it's by God's mercy that we're engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the hearing of his word, because we're going to need it. This is not the most accessible piece of scripture in the New Testament. But what does emerge is that Paul is no stranger to disappointment. He's no stranger to people not responding to the gospel, not not responding to the good news that Jesus is Lord and that he's the one to follow for life. From the text, we know that there's other followers of Jesus who have accused Paul of dishonesty and deception. They've accused him of falsifying and watering down the gospel to the point of even making it inaccessible or unrecognizable, putting it behind a veil. And he's encountered people who have no more responded to Jesus than a blind person responds to light. Yet despite all this, Paul can say, we do not lose heart. We don't give up. Why? What prevents him from doing what discouragement so often leads people to do? To trade in our faith for a less countercultural one, for a less 
offensive one, one where we can buy into the attitude around us that what you believe doesn't really matter as long as we can just all get along. How does he continue to persevere in helping others to encounter Jesus? Paul remembers. He remembers who gives us our ministry. That's the first thing he does. That it's something that God has entrusted to us. It comes from God. Paul says, since it's by God's mercy that we're engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. When I was a little kid just learning how to swim, we were invited over to some family's friend's house for a swim. And when we'd been swimming there for a little while, my dad said, why don't you swim the length of the pool? Now, not having any good reason not to swim the length of the pool, other than I'd never done it before, I decided to trust my dad and I push off. And I swim and everything's going very well. And it's about three quarters of the way down the pool. I'm right smack in the deep end. And I don't know, I'm 2,000 yards away from the end of the pool. And <laughs> I get this real simple message coming from my lungs and from my you know, arms that just says, you're going to die. And the water starts coming a little bit, and uh, I kind of look up with as pathetic and fearful eyes as, my, as I can at my dad, who's about two miles down at the end of the pool. And he just smiles, nods, as if to non-verbally say, I know you can do it. I wouldn't have asked you to do this if I didn't know you could do it. He believed in me, and I did it. Now... Paul doesn't lose heart because he knows this wasn't his idea. It's not some attempt to look impressive, to feed his ego, to make himself look good. This is what God wants him to be doing. And God knows better. He knows that God knows better than we do what's best for us and what we're capable of doing. So he doesn't lose heart. Paul remembers, too, that his message is necessary and it's sufficient. It's not some quaint little story or some self-improvement course that you pick up on an infomercial late at night. Paul remembers that he's dealing with something huge. When he says we're engaged in this ministry, he's referring back to what we heard about last week in chapter 3. That what we're about is not a ministry of condemnation. Not a ministry that's about death, but it's about justification, about being made right with the God of the universe. It's a ministry about life. This is the real thing. This is good stuff. This is important stuff. He knows it's the ministry of the Spirit of Jesus, who, as we turn to Jesus, reveals Christ's character to us as no one else can. And that it transforms us into the image of God. Not just into being nice people who are nice to our, you know, kid sister or don't kick the dog or any of those kind of things. But transforms us into the image of God. Into our authentic selves from one degree to another. Paul also takes courage in the sufficiency of this message. This message that's at the center of his ministry. And that is a great help to know 
Think about it. If you think that somehow the message that you're all about, that the core of your life, at the core of your ministry is somehow defective, then you end up pouring a lot of energy and a lot of worry into compensating for that lack. You know, none of us have to look very far to see churches that do crazy things to kind of compensate. You know, will of fortune Sundays, you know, giveaway cars, putting a thousand dollars underneath the pews. In you know, last service I said that people were starting to go like this kind of reaching. <laughs> Don't worry, they're not there. I checked earlier. Um, no. <laughs> no. Or, or they preach and they say, you know, what Jesus died for was to make you rich. And it's easy to find ministers who use psychological tricks, fear, manipulation to get people to respond. It's easy to find parents who do that, to get their kids to respond to Jesus. Why? Because they do not have confidence in the sufficiency of Jesus and his message to do the work. They think they have to help them out. But Paul knows the sufficiency of Jesus. He says, we refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. Paul knows that Jesus is so disruptive, that he's so radical, He's so winsome, so universal, so relevant to human life that no gimmick, no trick is needed. He knows the power of the gospel. When we think that somehow our message is inadequate, the idea of communicating even becomes oppressive and exhausting. We think we're up against a losing battle. But this is, you know, and I, when I say that, it's not to say that It's something magic words that we just say, and that's all we do. We still need to listen to others. We still need to earn trust, to live authentic lives that create curiosity about this hope that lives within us. But there's no need to help God out by playing on emotions or practicing some kind of bait-and-switch strategy. We see, too, that Paul doesn't lose heart because he's not naive about what he's up against. He remembers. He remembers that he has an enemy. Do you know you have an enemy? That we all have an enemy? God's work does not go unopposed. Paul writes, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Man, that's a hard word. But Paul is under no illusion that his work goes forth unobstructed. The God of this age, Satan, despite his overthrow on the cross by Jesus, has not conceded defeat. As John Stott says, he continues to contest every inch of his territory. He's not giving it up easy. And so the evil one has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. What does that mean? It means that Satan plays on unbelievers' pride and pumps up their sense of self-sufficiency. They're unbelieving about the true condition of life. And they're confident that there's nothing in their life or about their life that is so broken or so twisted or painful that they can't handle it on their own. I don't need any help. Jesus is a crutch. I don't need a Savior. And I certainly don't need a Lord. And so Jesus becomes trivial and dispensable. They close their minds and don't even consider him. The opening line in Scott Peck's classic, The Road Less Traveled, which is like 25 years old now, says, 
Life is difficult. And then Peck goes on to say that once you realize it, that life's difficult, it becomes easier. And that's essentially what Paul is getting at here. He says, once you realize that your work, your ministry is going to be opposed, it becomes a little bit easier. If you think you're going to have clean sailing and something happens, you go, oh, what's going wrong? But if you know you're going to be opposed, it becomes easier and you don't lose heart. Paul also knows that this blindness is not the end of the story. Continuing with the theme of light and blindness, Paul says, For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul has firsthand experience with blindness, both spiritual and physical. He was the one of those people who said, ah, what good is Jesus? Who needs him? As he set out to persecute the early believers. And he experienced physical blindness when God got his attention on the road to Damascus. So by his own experience, he knows that darkness can give way to light. Because he remembers who his partner in ministry is. That the God he is partnering with is the same God who said at the beginning of creation, let there be light. And light shined. But the light didn't shine into the darkness. The light shined out of the darkness. That's a big difference. Our work building in houses in Mexico over the years has put us in touch with a man named Steve. And Steve is a man familiar with darkness, very familiar with darkness. In his 20s, he started working for one of the Tijuana drug cartels, laundering money and doing other activities, uh, in, in basically laundering money and working on both sides of the borders and child trafficking and also running drugs. And one day, alone in the middle of the desert, doing his job that perpetuated injustice and oppression that ruined the lives of countless young children. The sun was brightly shining, but he knew that in his life he was in complete darkness. And in the midst of that complete darkness, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God showed up. Nobody else around But he knew he had to follow Jesus. He knew that he could follow Jesus. Jesus wanted him. And so he did. And he does. And today, he runs a ministry rescuing children from prostitution, from abuse, and from trafficking with a vision to do that throughout Latin America and to increase that awareness for the whole world. He's been shot at. He's been stabbed. But he perseveres. Why? Because he remembers. He remembers that God's light can shine into darkness, not only into darkness, but out of the darkness. Even when all the ways in seem closed, even when we encounter a friend or a colleague who has put up wall after wall around their mind, they can still experience the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Jesus can do that. He's that big. He's that real. He's that transformative.
Our work is to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. With our lips, yes. But also with our lives. Paul writes, For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. The world that we live in, at least my experience of it, is tired. Tired of Christian marketing and Christian schemes. And there's a growing immunity to the trite answers and forays out of the Christian cul-de-sac where believers show up, dump some kind of God talk, and then run back into their Christian safety zone, into their little rabbit hole. But there is curiosity about people who serve, followers of Jesus who seek the welfare of others at their own expense, people who are willing to enter someone else's world and know it instead of expecting others to come to them. People who don't pretend that their life is all together, but are honestly seeking God's healing lordship. People who are slaves for Jesus' sake, serving. Not with the ulterior motive that others will come to trust Jesus. That just turns it into another gimmick. But because Jesus genuinely loves people. And so we join Jesus in what he's doing. That's hard to do when we're discouraged. I know I've had my seasons of discouragement. And I know that when we're discouraged, it's convenient to make adjustments. Adjustments in our expectations for ourselves and for God. And those adjustments tend to be downward. We lower our expectation because we know that lower expectation means less frustration. And less frustration means less discouragement. But it also leads to faith that is more a performance and less an experience that's more stagnant instead of dynamic. Now, if not losing heart was a matter of simply gritting our teeth, clenching our fists, and just kind of giving it a good old try again, just trying harder the next time, we'd be in big trouble. We'd be stuck. We've been there. I think we've all tried that. And we just kind of end up in the same place not too long later, if we move at all. But fortunately, that's not the way we don't lose heart. Not losing heart is a matter of remembering. It's remembering who gives us our ministry. It's a matter of remembering the gospel of Jesus is necessary and sufficient. It's a matter of remembering that we have an enemy who opposes our work. Not to be surprised by that. We remember our partner in ministry can bring light out of darkness. Not just into darkness. You and I have plenty of things last week and the weeks past and the week ahead that can discourage us. To make it difficult to be people that see our lives as a ministry. People of grace, people of truth, people of hope, people of compassion. But we don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to lose heart. We can remember. So the question is, what are you going to remember this week? Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you give us great things to remember.
Lord, we thank you that as we remember, our eyes and our imagination has to expand. And then that which we confront seems much smaller. So much smaller in light of you and you being for us and your spirit at work in this world. Lord, thank you that we do not need to lose heart. And thank you that as we get discouraged, you are there. That you embrace us. And that by your spirit, you do remind us of who we are, of whose we are. And that we partner with you, the one who brings light out of darkness. Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray we remember. And I ask this in your son's name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.